You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name's Adam Tarno. Today, you're going to meet Aaron Bourne. He is in the Atlanta area. He's on the senior leadership team at Victory Church there in Atlanta. Currently, he is leading their house church movement as a part of their local church there of these house churches all across country. Pretty fascinating to hear him talk about it. He's got a great story, different industry things that he has done, spent a decade in men's ministry. We talk a lot about uh, where he sees men doing well in the church right now, where they can keep growing and getting better. uh, And you're going to love getting to know him. So enjoy my conversation with Aaron Bourne. Aaron Bourne, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Glad to have you here today. Hey, Adam, I'm glad to be here too. Thanks for having me. So you have you have such a great background, and when when backgrounds are different than mine, because I was um, I was an accounting major, right? Who <laughs> did, uh, played a little bit of baseball and did intramural sports in college, and then I became a CPA. And then I read your background, and I'm like, gosh, you are you need to be the host of this podcast. No. Your background oh, no. is so much better than mine. So it's like the most interesting man in the world met up with Jason Bourne and, uh, which is your last name spelled differently, but the same thing, but oh, anyway, cousin Jason, yeah, we talk yeah. about everything he knows. Yeah. So talk about, <laughs> talk about your background, where you grew up, what you did professionally, how you got to where you are today. So, um, well, I actually grew up in a Christian home. My mom was a Pentecostal preacher, pastor, church planner in St. Croix. Um, she ended up pastoring at Dr. Cho's church in Korea when I was three years old. Uh, so just all over the place. Um, my father was the music director. They planted a church here in Clarkston, Georgia, which is one of the most um, international multicultural square miles in the United States. Okay. Uh, so grew up around that. That became part of our DNA. I ended up leaving high school, went to an independent fundamental Baptist high school, uh, went straight into the Marines. 9-11 happened in boot camp. Oh, and <laughs> we thought it was a training exercise. Didn't even know that it was real. Wow. And so uh, that changed everything, changed the world. At the same time, uh, my family that was in ministry, things were just falling apart back mm-hmm. home in church world. So a big reason why I'm in men's ministry was watching kind of my family break down. Yeah. Um, have a great relationship with my dad now, but it, in my teenage years, he had stepped out of the home and I had to become man of the house at 13. Mm. So uh, he was electrical engineer, musician, uh, wired very different from me. I'm definitely a bit more of a bruiser, use my hands to get things done. <laughs> so blue, <laughs> blue collar guy, that kind yeah. of thing. And uh, so did all the stuff that I thought guys are supposed to do. Played football, went to the Marines, uh, came home from the Marines, not knowing what to do, uh, had no desire to go to college. I end up, you know, a little disenfranchised from church and what I'd seen there I bet. and, and watching things break apart. I'm like, if it's not, if it's faith from my mom, who's like a faith giant, if it wasn't enough to hold her through that, I don't have a chance yeah. was, was my thought. So I had to figure out, well, now what? And I remember some guy saying, uh, Hey, you're a big guy. You're a Marine. You should come work at my nightclub. And so I did. <laughs> and so it, uh, 20 years old, I start bouncing at a nightclub down in Atlanta, never even been in a bar in my life. And I ended up staying in that industry for 10 years, running restaurants, bars, nightclubs. Wow. So wild scene, started my own security business and uh, never would have planned that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's am- okay. So I have so many questions and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do I, I, let's start with this one. 9-11, you're in boot camp. 
Mm. Can you take me back to that moment? Like what, who was the first person that told you about it? And what did, like, what happened in the hour after it happened there at boot camp? So in Marine Corps boot camp, there's this thing called the crucible and it's like 48 hours of hell, basically. That sounds and, uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we've, we've uh, humped or marched, you know, I don't know how many miles and stuff. All of a sudden they stop the training exercise and they have us all get underneath this shelter. And um, the commanding officer comes out and says, you know, airplanes have crashed in the towers in New York city and everything else. And again, we're still thinking this is part of the training scenario. Yeah. And then they start bringing the chaplains in to come and talk to people. And they're like, Oh, this is real. Now we didn't actually see any footage for two weeks after until after nine 11 happened. Okay. We were completely in lockdown. They ended up fortifying the base with, you know, sandbags and machine guns. So even on graduation day, families couldn't come uh, like they normally would because we yeah. were on lockdown. And I remember everybody started changing their jobs. Like, you know, you had guys that signed up to be cooks. They're like, I'm going infantry. Yeah. <laughs> and so yep. everybody was like, it's, you know, it's, it's real now. So um, for me, I guess it just felt like this is what Marines do. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I wasn't mm. really shocked. It wasn't until I came home and started realizing how much changed the world. Hmm that I was like, oh, things are different now. So, yeah. so were um, you, were you deployed? No, I was not. My younger brother was deployed. Okay. Um, he ended up going to the 82nd Airborne uh, Army and he was deployed and um, he went in Afghanistan. I want to say, was it 2007, eight? Okay. But I, you know, I thought that we were going to be deployed. Yeah. <laughs> a, oh, lot sure. guys, a lot of guys, a lot of guys from my unit did. I never saw those guys again. Um, and I came home, like I said, early. I thought I was going to be in the Marines for 20 years. And uh, I had no plans for not being a Marine. Yeah. And and so that was really kind of what turned things upside down for me is, okay, that didn't last the way I thought I was going to. I, I came home thinking I've got to save my family. Uh, everybody's falling apart here. Family members were dealing with suicide and yeah. depression and everything yeah. else. And um, on the other side of that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to go right back in the Marines now. Came home, yeah. dealt with this stuff. I'm going to come right back. And I couldn't get back in. Mm. And uh, and then I carried that shame yeah. for 10 years of all I wanted to do was be a Marine. And I remember being a kid growing up at church thinking, like, I'm, I'm going to be a warrior, loved warrior culture. And then when that got taken away, I was like, well, then who am I? Mm. If I'm not that, who am I? And uh, it was funny because it wouldn't – it was – it was years later when I actually realized that God was putting that in me in a mindset in a warrior culture, uh, something that was severely lacking in the church. And when I had grown up, the men I'd watched in church, I did not want to emulate. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't look masculine to me. They didn't really represent yeah. who I wanted to be. I grew up thinking it was about how good can you be? How nice can you be? And I'm like, but I'm not really like that. So, yeah. so what, what am I supposed to do? That's right. Yeah, it's it is that. Uh, I don't know a better illustration. I'm sure there is one out there, but it's it's Ned Flanders from The Simpsons cartoon. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. that is the image that many have of a Christian man, which is just the nice next door neighbor who's slightly naive and tells dad yeah. jokes, has a great mustache, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but but other than that, is not somebody that we would all look to and go, that's who I want to be when I grow up. So yeah. So I can understand that. And, I, and again, I appreciate you sharing some of that story and the way you served there. So now now take me to the nightclub scene yeah. and what you're starting to see about, because, yeah, the Lord is using all of this to develop kind of your philosophy of masculinity and mm. 
and how to reach men. So what were some things that you were seeing there? Obviously that we can talk about on the podcast, because I'm sure you got some great stories uh, or some very interesting stories, but talk about, here's what always gets me about that, that lifestyle of those in that nightclub scene. The nights are your days and the days are your nights, right? Like everything gets flipped upside down. Is that true? Yeah. Which automatically kind of breaks you out of society's norms. Uh So the people you know, the places you hang out, everything's different because you're you're running on an opposite clock of everybody else. Yeah. Um, one, I'll say that the people I know in that industry, uh, it it was a society in and of itself. Yep. And very very close knit, to be honest. Um, I experienced a lot of community in that world. I never really paused to make this conscious decision that like I'm no longer going to follow Jesus. It was more like. I just turned the volume up really loud. I think I was hurt with God over what happened with my family. Mm. And so I just, I didn't say like, I'm running away. I'm not talking to you anymore. I just said, I'm locking myself in my room. I'm not coming to dinner. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, in that world, it was a great science experiment to watch how human beings interact with each other. Mm. So on any given night, you know, we'd have 2000 people come through there and you'd see the mayor, the NFL players, the rappers, the drug dealers, the cops that are off duty, <laughs> everybody's in the same room with, you know, they're all trying to be accepted. They're all trying to portray themselves as something uh, to, to earn respect. And so I saw humanity's needs uh, being the great equalizer. Yeah. That it didn't matter who you were. Everyone's just wanting to be loved. Everyone's wanting to be accepted. And, and I also saw how miserable and lonely people were. And I watched that industry eat people alive. I had mm. friends kill themselves. I saw people of D. Um, everything you could have ever imagine from a movie, it was that. And then some, Yeah, and so, um, it was difficult to relate. I know for many of those years, I didn't go to a lot of normal family functions. Um, I was, that became my family. Yep. Yeah. Which makes sense. And that's some of my, uh, I've got a younger brother who was in the restaurant industry and, and I, like you just said, you're already separate from society's norms just based on your sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. that it would make sense that you would gravitate towards those in your friend group becomes those who are on that same schedule. And that becomes your family and that shared experience of all the good and the bad that would come from an average Friday night, Saturday night at a nightclub. And this was in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Uh, where yep. you were doing this. Yeah. So uh, a big scene there that that would make sense. You're, you're sober during all of this, right? Because you're working. And so you get to watch this different. Is that is that fair or is that? Yeah, uh, no, yeah. I, I I would say, especially when I was in the security part of it, when I moved into a general manager, I was probably a lot less sober. Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would stand against the wall and it actually felt like a spectator in life. I yeah. was always watching other people party, other people in the room. And actually, when I moved into back into going to church for a while, that was a hard switch for me mm-hmm. to go back to. I'm no longer against the wall watching everybody else. I'm, I'm in the room. Um, but yeah, watching everybody else kind of being unseen unless somebody wanted something from you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so uh, it was interesting. Just I studied people for many years. All the, the the physical signs they would have. The you could tell when they were off. You could tell when they were on something. You know, and and it was very subtle. And so it was actually really interesting. It was um I call that my seminary, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Uh, just learning how humanity works, how they interact with each other, what they need. I could I can usually tell when someone's lying to me. <laughs> you know, and uh I also learned that the lines between people were very blurry. 
like mm-hmm. I said, the cops and the drug dealers were sitting in the same sections. Yep. So, um, you know, a lot of it's, it's just society. Yeah. yeah. And it, it reminds me of the uh, the Batman movies where, the, you know, the underground of Gotham City. Yeah. So I, to me, that's that's what I see in, in fiction. And yeah. I'm hearing you say this is no, this was kind of real life. This is that that was uh, that was art imitating life, not the other right. way around. This is the way the way things work with all this. OK, so so your trajectory is now moving. Yeah. You're in this this very upside down kind of life. You found some community there. You're studying mm-hmm. people. What's next? What what happened then that caused you to now start taking a move towards ministry? So, you know, I got deep into it at one point. Uh, near the end, I was starting to do drugs. I was, you know, drinking alcohol. Um, and I remember I had everything that most American males think they want. Uh, I, you know, I slept around. I, I did all those things. And... I remember thinking like, i still feel so empty. Mm. Like this is, this is good, but then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and just start over again. Yeah. And you know, the train up a child and the way he goes and when he's old, he won't depart. Like yeah. the truth is I never felt like I fit in there. Mm. Whenever I'd be in a place I wasn't supposed to, I felt like I was wearing somebody else's clothes. Yeah, that's good. And, um, that never went away. And I found out later on, my grandmother prayed for me every day for 10 years mm-hmm. until the day she died. Mm-hmm. Now, she didn't get to see me come back to following Jesus, but she she knows now, you yeah. know, Yeah. and my mom as well. So I encourage dads, uh, your wives, don't ever give up on your kids. Don't quit praying. Mm-hmm. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And um, I remember I was over at my sister's house uh, with her family and they had this Max uh, Lakato book on the back of the toilet saying it's not about you. <laughs> and I remember when I was in there, I grabbed the book. It's a real thin book. Yeah. But it, but in my world, it's all about you. And so mm. this was such a crazy thought. I was like, oh, this feels right. Because mm. I, I live a, in a world where everyone's trying to get everything for themselves and it feels dirty. And, and when I started seeing the sacrifice again and remembering like, this is what I'm looking for, that began me just consuming all the books, starting to read the Bible again. I started going to churches. So I'd work Saturday night, get home at five in the morning, go to a church Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. Yep. Um, and then I started, it was gradual. It was not this like yeah. divine encounter where you showed up in my living room and everything changed. It was yeah. like over a year, year and a half's time of just beginning to my appetite began shifting. That's a good way to use it. still being yeah, a nightclub I, manager. And, yeah. and if you started your own business, I mean, that's not just something you got to, you've got clients and you've got contracts and you've got different things to try to, and it's a livelihood uh, that you've got to figure out as well. So that, that is, um, that's fascinating. So it makes a lot of sense then that when you show up at Victory Church and you lead, was that where, have you been on staff there doing that? Or were you doing men's ministry at Victory Church for 10 years? Is that where you were? I, no, I got involved. Um, part of one of the big influencers that brought me out of that world was I went to my sister's church for a men's event and these guys were still a little rough around the edges. They were still dropping some cuss words here and there. Uh, (laughs) they still knew all the best beer. Uh, and they were nothing like the church guys I grew up around and some former Marines and stuff. And I, I said, it was a great bridge for me. I was like, hmm. I get these guys. I understand the way they're wired. Um, they love Jesus. They got some bad habits, but they, <laughs> but they love Jesus. But I knew I was about something real. I wasn't about religion. I didn't want religion. I knew what yeah. that was was like. So I didn't want a list of just behaviors. I wanted people whose lives were transformed mm. or, or were being transformed. Yeah. And because that was more my story anyway. Uh, so started hanging out with them. Um, what was hard for me to leave the nightlife was I had like 50 security guys working for me and I started building community. And as my life was being transformed, I ended up recommitting my life to Jesus. 
I had the owners pushing all the right buttons with me saying, Hey, Aaron, you don't need to leave, man. You're like being a pastor right here in the nightclub. Mm. Like, this is like becoming like your church, man. And they're like, you're helping with marriages. You're helping with this. And, and so every time I would go to leave, I would end up saying, no, you're right. And I'd stay. Yeah. And finally I went into a mission trip to Mozambique and it was the first time I turned the noise off in 10 years. Uh. And all of a sudden it was like, I could hear God again. I could see God. And he was reminding me of these promises from when I was a kid and reminded me that he'd called me to do other things. He called me to ministry. Um, and I came back and I was just, I was done. I walked in, I said, Hey boss, you need more than 24 hours notice. He looked me in the eye and he's like, nah, you're gone. <laughs> and so that was it. Uh, started, I had to start from scratch. Like you just said. So I started digging ditches, waiting tables, just doing grunt work while going to Bible school online at night. Um, mm. I remember one of my former nightclub owners who'd been like a mentor to me, he was a, a Muslim and he said, Hey, Aaron, you're a Christian now, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, you need to go to Liberty University. I said, what? Why? Because that's where you Christians go. So, he, so he's the one that got me to go to Bible school. It's funny. He actually helped pay for my first mission trip, too. That's and, amazing. That, and that was what was great. I had all these Muslims and atheists and unbelievers helping fund me to go do these things. Yeah, because they and loved you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, they, and they knew that any, there's some generous people in that world, man. Yeah, they have I no bet. problem serving and giving. And they want something real. And they just don't like the labels that go with it. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. So, okay, a, a decade serving as a men's yep. ministry in a church. I mean, what what are you seeing right now? And I, I want like almost 100% your opinion, your perspective, yep. all of that kind of stuff on this. So men's greatest strength right now in the church, how, how would you, what, what would you say there? I would say right now what we're seeing is the shift in generations. So mm. it's really easy for guys my age and older to look at the younger generations and pick apart their version of manhood, their version of masculinity. Mm. I think we have a responsibility of separating what's cultural masculinity and what's actually manhood. Uh, what I've seen in the younger generations that are coming up, Gen Z, young millennials, is they're, like I said earlier, they're looking, they're desperate for something real. Mm. They're looking back to tradition. They're looking back at things that have lasted the test of time because they've seen everything around them become fluid, gender, leadership institutions and they don't have faith in what a lot of us had faith in growing yep. up yeah so they're looking to hymns that's why you look at the asbury revival uh it doesn't look a lot like what we've seen from other revivals yep. and i heard someone i can't remember who said it but someone said this is the revival for this generation this yep. is what they need the lights are on there's no haze <laughs> yeah there's no celebrities in front it's just real hmm. and i think that is going to be the uh the the banner for manhood in this next generation is it's going to be real. It's not going to be posing. I, I've done so many men's breakfast and men's events. I get the macho thing. I look the part. I can act the part. And guys will follow me because of that. But at the end of the day, I'm a big teddy bear, man. I yeah. have a very sensitive heart. And I've actually tried to demonstrate manhood in the church saying this is masculine, that loving Jesus is masculine. Being able to express your emotions is masculine because this is who Jesus is. If anything, manhood, you know, people are always trying to find manhood through all these different ways. They'll give you a list of 10 things that make you a man. And when I look at the Bible, it's defined by manhood equals love. We're made in God's image. God is love. Therefore, manhood is love. We should be the most loving people in the world. And, and so to me, the marks of manhood for this generation, it's real. It's being unfiltered. Um, being able to demonstrate love without being afraid of what are people going to think. And um, 
serving people around us. But that's not to the sacrifice, and, and I'm not leading you somewhere. This is, I'm asking this uh, genuinely curious, the warrior culture that goes mm-hmm. with that, or let's maybe what's very popular right now with Ryan Holiday and the Stoics and Jocko mm-hmm. Wilnick and those guys mm-hmm. who a lot of Christian men are, are finding that, uh, that message of virtue and discipline yeah. Yeah. Which would manifest itself. I mean, let's get really nitty gritty. Manifest itself in trying to make sure they're they're physically strong, to make sure right. that they're healthy on the inside physically, that they are providing all of those kind of things. You're you're saying yes, there's the love piece, but it's not at the sacrifice of this of this warrior type mentality as well. Or, or let me let me ask it this way: How yeah. how do you reconcile those yeah. two, and how do you bring those both together? Uh, yeah, not at the sacrifice of that, but what I'll say is we've already seen in history the uh, the whole Christian masculinity movement, uh, early what, 20th century or something like that, where men focus so much on that. I think you have to have balance. Yeah. And I know so many men in the church who only focus on that. And to be honest, there's a lot of guys who don't follow Jesus that do that. So what's the difference? Yeah. You know, you can look great. And you can try to slap a Jesus sticker on it, but if it doesn't actually change hmm. who you are on the inside, it's just whitewashed tombs, right? <laughs> so yeah. I think pursue God with all your heart. You know, Paul says there's a there's benefit to be strong physically, but what I when I think of warrior culture, I actually think of how well do you suffer, how hmm. well do you sacrifice? Okay, because men we gain the benefit from that. So if I get stronger, I look better. Yep. I'm I'm more influential. People want to follow me. They want to subscribe to me because I look impressive. Yeah. My question is, how well do you go low? How but how much of a beating can you take for Jesus? That's good. <laughs> That's warrior culture. The yeah. best, the most powerful men I know, the MMA guys, the fighters that were around me, they were gentle, sensitive, loving guys who had nothing left to prove hmm. because they knew they could whoop you, <laughs> and so they didn't have to act like they could. <laughs> And they were the nicest people in the world. And to me, that's that is what real strength is. That's it's so not me good. trying to convince you I'm a man. It's look at me. Yep. I have nothing left to demonstrate to you because I know who I am. Which is the heart of the disciplines anyway, is to to do the hard thing so that you're ready for the next hard thing. Yeah. In, in many ways. So how low, what what kind of a of a beating can you take, so to speak? And it's not to get your Instagram followers or to impress somebody at the club. This is because you never know what what's the next curveball that's going to come, and you want to be found ready. You want to be found yeah. ready for those moments. I, yeah, I think God gives you strength and power for a purpose as a male, hmm. and it's so you can help those who don't have it. That's good. And and so it's are you willing to lay it down and go low for the benefit of those around you? That's good. So a few uh, change subjects here. So a few episodes yeah. we did with uh, Better Man President and CEO Chris Harper. He talks about this framework of. Uh, being father, thinking about the role of a father as the um, priest, prophet, and king. And so you've got a similar framework that you think about with the role of the father. You want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, I love seeing um, other men uh, have that same kind of framework to look at because it tells me that Holy Spirit's talking to a lot of different people. Mm. So in 2015, this is before I'd come on staff at Victory. I was still in Bible school, still working. And I woke up one night, uh, we had a newborn baby and I woke up at the night with her and I had a dream and I remembered it, which is weird because I never remember my dreams. So I wrote it down and it was this whole prophet, priest, warrior, king. And I didn't realize that this was something that had been taught in church for centuries, a prophet, <laughs> priest, king. Apparently yeah. the warrior part was new. Um, but when I looked at David and I looked at Jesus, I really saw them embodying all four offices. 
And people overlook Jesus as the warrior. They overlook the way he carried the cross, the way he uh, confronted. I mean, he was a revolutionary mm. in, in everything. He confronted the religious institutions. He confronted the power groups. And he did it in a humble way. But you would see him righteously get angry over the way they were oppressing people. And at the same time, you look at Revelations, and he's coming back as a warrior. So mm. uh, I think there's a model for that. And the way I looked at these four leadership roles is I think this demonstrates the four offices that every man should esteem to fill. And so I, lo- I listened to the episodes uh, about, you know, fatherhood as prophet, priest, and king. I think those are great. What I would say is doesn't, you don't have to be a father to live these out. Oh, that's to, to, to be a priest, it's how well do I demonstrate what it means like to follow Jesus? How do I help other people follow Jesus? So I, I think of that really as the shepherd of being the, uh, the heartbeat of a man. Yeah. So it, you, I start with that because without a heart, it just ends up separating people from God. That's good. Um, if you grow up in a religious environment, you know, a lot of times you sometimes get just the law and you get all the things you have to do to, to, to connect with God. And to me, what a real priest does is he removes the obstacles and shows you that there's a Jesus that came for you mm. and that he wants to make you a better man. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love the priest piece. Um, I think all of us, our responsibility is take the resources we have and gather people to us mm. and and make it attractive to them. Uh, the, the prophet to me is in this day and age, it's a lot easier to picture that one because of all the social media, all the platforms, everybody has something to say. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I see a lot of people making themselves famous on Jesus's platform, <laughs> or I see a lot of people that are trying to gain influence that way. But I think the prophet basically, his responsibility is not just to say, look at me, it's to, it's to call people back to conviction and say, this is wrong. we got to stop calling it right. Yep. You know, it talks about the end times they would call evil good and good evil. The yep. prophet basically says like, no, that's not going to yeah, work. Try to be a counter narrative to that and not just go with the flow on, on all that. That's excellent. Um, okay. Last thing I want you to talk about is what you're doing now. Uh, let's pick up on that last statement. Like they're trying to make themselves famous on the platform of Jesus. And so yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on controversy or anything right now. We'll, yeah. we'll be Christian men as we talk right now and, and talk kindly about our brothers and things like that. But we could, we could make an argument that some of the mega church model that, that has happened, that has been so great for mm-hmm. the cause of Christ, especially here in the States. Let's just go back to 1975, probably when Willow Creek first started, um, yeah. an, an enormous golden age, if you will, of megachurch. And now you're doing something that's that's very different with house churches. Um, mm-hmm. And so talk about just some things that you're seeing there. Yeah, just what you're doing there, because I think it's incredibly interesting, and I, and I have a suspicion, and it's just an Adam Tarno suspicion that you're on the forefront of the next wave or the next movement on, mm-hmm. on where we may see church going. Again, that's just my opinion on that, but yeah. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Well, I'm in the mega church model. I'm on the lead team. Um, you know, we're a multi-site church, thousands of people, and God has used it to, to do some amazing things and he'll continue to do so. So right. I'm not going to sit up here and say one is gone and house churches are the new thing. Uh, I love the fact that God has called us to gather and scatter as the church going Mm. back to, I I love the fact that we can gather resources. We can do corporate worship. We can invite people in. But one of the things that really drove me as a men's pastor was I had this desire to see men go back and lead in their homes and in their communities. Mm. 
uh, I would have some businessmen tell me, well, I'm not a priest. When I talk about prophet, priest, warrior, king, yeah. it's like, that's you. You're the one getting paid for the church. Yeah. You're the priest. I'm a businessman. I'm a king. You went to liberty, <laughs> not me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I would tell them, I was like, man, that is like, there is no separation between sacred and secular. Like wherever God has placed you, you're a pastor there. Yeah. And I care very little about the title in the office uh, per se. I, I think you're called to be a pastor wherever you are. And Jesus came to tear down the curtain. So mm. my whole idea is you don't have to pick between models. You can still come here on Sundays if you want to, but you can plant a church on your boat on the weekends. You can plant a church in your business, in your living room, and forget the labels. I know we get hung up on that sometimes. The, the labels can really paint a picture for us. But what does it look like to, again, be that priest, to invite people into relationship with you, to be a great neighbor, to love them? And stop waiting for people to come to us as the institutional church. Right. We've got to go to them. I mean, we are called to go to them. So how are we going to do that? I think there is um, I think the statistics show that sixty percent of Americans have said that they have no interest in going to church, mm -hmm. even if they were invited. Yeah. Forty percent right. have said I'd I'd be willing to go if someone invited me. And so our model is basically going after the forty percent, but mm -hmm. the house church model says we're gonna go to the sixty percent and said they're not coming to us. That's right. And so uh, the message translation talks about how the word took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. And that's like what, that. to me, that's it, man. That's it. <laughs> Let's go. And are you finding men responding well to the house church type movement? As they're getting educated as to what it could be. Yes. Yeah. The labels scare everybody. Yeah. You know, and now I will say this as usual in church world, the women jump right in. Huh. They're like, let's do this, you yeah. know, but the men, you have to really paint a picture for them and show a model of what it can look like. That's yeah. the biggest thing is until they see guys doing it and you need a few brave pioneers to step out in front, guys are going to hang back. And I think they're, you know, the fear of failure, what's it going to be like? I don't have the training. I don't have the education and trying to show that like, if you go anywhere in the world, you're seeing disciple making movements and church planning movements explode. And some of them are being led by middle school girls. Hmm. So we can do this guys. Yeah. <laughs> it just has to be, take a step forward. And if, if it looks like you got it all figured out before you start, then you're probably not looking at it the right way. Cause it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a learning process the entire time, but it really just takes a step forward and says, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to offer my home, my resources, my time, to see Jesus move into the neighborhood. Yeah. What what the the label that would scare them? Like what are some of the preconceived notions of the of a house church that you see some guys go, eh, I don't know if that's me. You mentioned something with education, yeah. but go say a few more words. I'd probably there. see the word pastor, church. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, things like that because when we hear those words, we think about what we're experiencing on Sunday. Okay. And and that can be intimidating. Yeah. Um you know, I'm not asking our house church leaders to preach sermons. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't know that people in this day and age really want to sit down and listen to people lecture anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like it, but I don't think that that's what other people like. Yeah. They want to sit around in circles and have conversations. And so uh, what I've said is the Bible speak for itself. Mm. You know, like if we can just get the Bible open and get men and women talking around a table, reading it and asking questions. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about people? Uh, over time, I think the Holy Spirit's a great teacher. We just yeah. got to give him a kick people in the room and let him do what he does. That's right. Maybe the most underrated thing you've said on this podcast. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit's a good teacher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I dedicate my life to that. But, He's you know. got a, a decent track record there uh, with all that. Well, Aaron, listen, this is fascinating. I, I just... 
hearing everybody's stories, I mean, one of the joys of being able to host this podcast is getting to hear so many different stories and just to see our Lord at work and what he did, uh, the way you served in the Marines, uh, things with your family, so encouraging to hear that that there was some reconciliation there, yeah. uh, that that yeah. wasn't the end of the story when things no. seemed to be falling apart. Uh, what you've seen in that whole security nightclub, uh, that that world, it just seems like um, all of this is just part of this grand journey that makes a ton of sense what you're doing right now. So keep it up, friend. Uh, you're making an impact. I'm glad we were able to share some of your story here on the Better Man podcast today. Uh, any Anything, I don't want to put you on the spot, but any final words for the guys listening right now? Anything coming to mind? You want to leave them with one last bit? I would just say, I mean, just king off what you just said, Adam. Let God use your journey. Let him mm. use your story. Be okay with it changing and not looking the way you thought it was going to look. The number one thing, as I say, let him use your pain. Let him mm. use your mistakes. Be transparent about it. Because uh, it, it may cost you a little bit of uh, uh, respect at sometimes, but yeah. I think people that are looking for something real are going to respect the fact that you're op- being an open book. And for me, um, I could either put on an image and have you really think I'm I'm something great, or I could just try to open up and let you see how great God is, and the fact that He's used a mess and worked through it and healed my family, and healed my life, and continues to heal me and use me. And um, I love it. That's what I invite men into. Don't don't put up an image. Don't try to look like the man. Let him be the man and just work through your life. Fantastic, Aaron. Great to meet you. Thanks for being on the Better Man Podcast. Thanks, Adam. I love that last line that he said there, just let God use your pain and how that tied into that warrior mentality of how much can you struggle, not how do you look and how many followers do you have right now, but really how much can you struggle? Uh, Incredibly helpful, Aaron. I love your message. I love what you're doing. Thank you again for jumping on the Better Man podcast with us today. If you guys want to learn more about Aaron, you can go Google his name. That's Aaron Bourne. We'll put some links in the show notes as well. You can go check out his church, Victory Church there in Atlanta. Follow him on social media, all that kind of stuff that you can do just to keep tracking with him and his ministry. Today's episode, like all episodes, was produced, mixed, and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next time.